0: You are listening to an Elam Christian Centre podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged and empowered by the message you are about to hear.
1: Uh, I'll I'll take a moment now to introduce them. Um, So first of all, we've got Seema here. Uh, Seema has been working as a mental health professional for the last 25 years in counselling and cognitive therapy. It's very, sounds very professional and important. Uh, but Seema's just got some incredible uh, wealth of knowledge and experience working with many, many people. Uh, next to Seema is Rachel. Uh, Rachel is our stay-at-home member is currently studying um, for her masters in counselling, but has worked as a social worker as well in um, schools with young people too, and is currently working um, doing some counselling in our school uh, for us at the moment with um, with young with kids as well. And then uh, on the other tier on the opposite side is Mr Richard Tucker, uh, who is trained as originally as a primary school teacher, um, spent many years teaching, and then retrained as uh, also with his masters in counselling, and has been working in schools for 20 years. Currently is uh, working doing counselling at St Kennegan's College so if you went through St Kent's you will know him as Mr Tucker uh, and uh, has been doing an incredible job in that um, that area but to start with um, tonight we actually want to do something um, special we're going to ask Steve to um, just take the um, stage seat couch for just a moment um, and just share his story over the last couple of years.
0: Awesome, Um, firstly Welcome, everybody, tonight. Thank you so much for coming out. It's um, actually pretty amazing and pretty humbling to see so many people come and want to engage in this, which I think is really powerful. And I think it's a really powerful statement for us as a church and as the body of Christ to actually do this. So can you put your hands together for yourselves? I really want to honor you guys for doing that. It's huge, it's, ma- it's, it's really massive and, um, and I, I, you know it's very, very humbling, I think, for all of us to be able to be here and to share with you guys and to open up some of our lives to you and to um, welcome you and to share your life with us. And very, very uh, humbled to have these amazing panel of experts next to us who have known for a very, very long time and are just going to bring a whole bunch of wisdom. So basically, I'm going I'm to like just share a whole bunch of like stuff. I'm just going to throw a whole bunch of stuff out there, and then these guys are going to help clean up the mess and make some sense of things and help us leave with a great toolkit to go home. Because that's the heart of what we're doing is we want to give you a bit of a toolkit to for how do we manage this, how do we go forward with this, how do we understand this from a biblical worldview. Because I think historically, the church hasn't done a great job with mental health, we kind of just summarize it down into a very narrow channel, uh, without really exploring the fullness of what's going on and what it, what we're dealing with. And I guess for me, um, the this all this all came to a very real point for me in 2020. So, you know, like 2020 was a bad year for everybody. It was an exceptionally bad year for Stevie. Like it was it was. Um, the worst year of my life and was the beginning of the darkest, hardest point in my journey. And, and I want to just firstly say there is a very high likelihood I will get emotional tonight. Just going to put that out there and let's just be okay to, um, to yeah, I said the best, make sure we have to, as a good counselor over there. Bring it, yeah, yeah. So it's very high likelihood because what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to share a level of detail and journey that I've not shared publicly before and I'm going to open up my life and my heart and, and my world to you um, in, in a, in a vo- very vulnerable way, like in a way that is going like, to put me right out there for you. And, and I do that, um, and my hope in that is that you don't look at me and go, wow, Steve is really strong, because I'm actually not. My hope is that you in that see the light and love of God in the midst of the story. Um, and I share this because... I know that if this was my journey and my story, that there are hundreds of people in our church um, and in our communities that are walking a similar journey, and I want you to know that you're not alone, and I want you to know that there's nothing wrong with you. they yeah, are not like, uh, you, you are, we are all a little bit broken, and we all sit on the mental health spectrum in some way, yeah. and um, I want you to know that it doesn't matter who you are, how um, good you are, how spiritually you are, and as a senior pastor of a church to go through what I went through, and I, I need you to know that no one is impervious to the stuff of life, and we're all going to go through it, and this is a safe place to ask for help, and I want us to be a place where everyone in this room has each other's back. So if there's help needed, just look around you. We will fight for each other to get the help that we need. So... In 2019, we had just completed, um, I think, 10 years of full-time ministry pastoring our campuses and our churches, and we were due for a sabbatical break. And so a sabbatical was a time of just rest and refreshing, just an extended period of leave where you kind of get away, rest, recharge, um, meet with the Lord, get some upskilling and some training, and you come back refreshed for the next season of, of ministry. So we went overseas. We went to the U.K., and uh, after two weeks of being in the U.K., I got re- I, I got a virus, which I didn't know I had. I didn't feel sick. I had no kind of symptoms of being sick. But what happened was I, was I was actually, as part of a sabbatical, I was preaching a little bit just in a few Elam churches in the U.K., and I was preaching a second service in a church in Birmingham, and while I was preaching mid-sermon, I'm, I'm preaching, I'm giving my heart out, I'm going from walking around the stage, I'm hit suddenly with a massive onset of vertigo. So vertigo, basically the room just spins. You're so dizzy, you can't stand up. It was like someone whacked me on the head with a baseball bat. So can you imagine, mid-preach, if you think of like the worst case scenario of what could happen when you're preaching or doing something, that's pretty close to it. And it's sudden, it's out of the blue, you have no idea why it happened, but it, ha- it happens. And all of a sudden, I'm literally clinging onto to the pulpit, and, and out loud, I'm, I'm so sorry, I feel really dizzy right now. And everyone laughed because they thought it was a joke. <laughs> And uh, like, fair, like, fair enough. Like, I'm so because I'd just been going hard. I'm like, like, you gotta give your life to Jesus. And I'm like, I so dizzy. And I was like, bro, this is the, the anointing, but it wasn't the anointing. It was something else. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay. I managed to stumb- stumble through the message, get to the end, but all the way through, I'm having these waves of just mad dizziness and just feeling like I'm gonna fall over. I eventually um, finish up. I leave the church. They they let me walk back to my uh, like apartment that we were staying in. I had to cross this major road. I was hanging on to trees man. I couldn't even walk. And, um, and so we're in the UK. We're at the start of a three-month break, and this is the, the start of it. And um, what, was, what happened was a thing called viral vertigo, viral labyrinthitis, where a virus, some kind of little virus, gets into your inner ear. Your inner ear works balance for your body and it kind of attacked the inner ear and uh, it's very common a lot of people get it a lot of people have it Um, but normally it resolves within about a week so for me about 24 48 hours I was no longer severely dizzy but I was still out of it like it just something wasn't right something I was still having occasional moments of like whoa like a mad it felt like a big head rush or you know that if you've ever fainted or passed out it's like that split second before you pass out that feeling like Oh, I'm about to go but you don't go it just kind of feels really out of it um, from that point I was cr- ma- like majorly fatigued and and so I was like dude what's wrong with me I don't know what was wrong I'm like is this is this what a burnout is in my head and like is this what a breakdown feels like is this what is this what that is so I'm while we're on sabbatical I'm going to all these like walk-in clinics in the UK just going and I'm waiting for like hours like days on end at these clinic's going help me like something's wrong and they're like We don't know what's wrong, it's something, it's a virus, it'll pass within a few days. Well, the whole sabbatical, I'm wrecked. So a time of refreshing is not a time of refreshing. It's like the worst trip ever. Um, And so then we return back to New Zealand, and on returning to New Zealand, the second week we're here, I'm inducted as the senior pastor of this church. So i am come off a three-month journey of just agony and balance issues and stuff, and I'm still struggling. I'm still battling with it, and I'm still not any better. I'm like, this is not okay. So I come back in this church, and I'm supposed to be picking up this mantle as a senior pastor over eight campuses, and and I'm like, I don't think I'm okay. Like, I'm, I'm still physically not in a good place. And, and outwardly, I look fine. I'm like, everyone's like, you're all good. And I went to the doctor like hundreds of times. They're like, you're dehydrated. You've... Maybe it's migraines. Like, like They had no answers for me whatsoever. Um, and so here's me. I get up the first Sunday. I'm going to preach, and all of a sudden, I'm dizzy again. I'm, like, feeling it. I can't. I'm struggling to do it. And then I'm thinking, man, what's, what's this? I'm, is this psychological? Is this physical? The doctors don't know what's going on. And so this reoccurs every day. So every day, I'm just getting more and more like in a hole physically because i just am struggling to do what i got to do and back then we were running four sunday services i was preaching multiple times every single day and can you imagine every time you get up to do the thing you feel god's called you to do and the very thing that everyone in this room is expecting you to do every single week and sundays roll around real fast when you get up every time you get up you feel like you're going to faint and you have no idea why and you've got no explanation as to why and you're, and you're so dizzy that, and, and so like messed up by this thing, that um, like I'm it just is absolutely consuming and fatiguing. So take that journey along three, four, five months, and I'm not improving and nothing's happening, and, and I'm just trying to put a brave face on. And then all of a sudden what happens is my body goes into like a stress response. I understand this now. I didn't understand it then. My body goes into a stress response because when you put yourself in a situation that causes your body to um, feel those feelings of unease and balance issues and things like that, your body starts to recognize certain things as dangerous that aren't dangerous. And so a stress response just kicked off in my body. And so for months, I had a resting heart rate of about 120 beats a minute. So if you, if you just got like this on your chest, that's my resting heart rate. That's watching TV at the end of the day. That's sitting on the couch. We'd be sitting on the couch and Bex would be like, what's that thumping? And it was literally my heart through the couch. And that's what she was feeling. Um, and so I'm now like living with this in this heightened state of what is a physical stress response. Um, for a long period of time. And then I start to, my body reacts so badly to coming into church to preach on a Sunday that I start having anxiety attacks. So what started out as a physical issue has now become a very deep mental issue. And so I start to, I'm still, and by this stage, I'm still undiagnosed, I still have no answers to what's going on for me. Um, But I have now, I've now started to have these things, these anxiety attacks, where my heart rate spikes and there's this rush of adrenaline and cortisol, and my whole body just feels numb. And I have them in these random situations, but then I start having them in church. And then I start having them while I'm preaching. And this is one thing most of you in this room will n- have no idea that throughout 2020 and some of 2021, while I was preaching in church on a Sunday morning, I'm having panic attacks while reading scripture, while preaching the word of God. And it's so unnerving. And I was freaking out. And th- and, then, a- a- and so you have this moment and you just, your heart rate's going and the world's spinning, and you're just like, it's just this mad rush, and everything in you wants to run out of the building. Just run, just get out of here. And, and so you kind of fudge it, and, and I stumbled through. And if you knew, you would have known, but if you didn't know, you probably just thought I was messing up a few words, but I managed to kind of get through it. But then I'd get off the stage, and all i want to do is cry, and I was so fatigued, and I was so exhausted. Because when you have that stress, and you have that adrenaline, you have that, that anxiety attack, your body just depletes. So I would go home most Sundays going, I'm wrecked. And then the question became, how long can I keep doing that? Like, how long how long can I hold on before it all goes real bad? And how long can I hold on because Sunday's coming real fast? And i have got to preach again to hundreds of people, and everyone's depending on me, and I'm supposed to be this leader, and I'm supposed to be this guy who has got it all together, and I'm supposed to start this leadership thing of leading a church and be strong and be good and, and have vision. Or I, can't even, I can't even think. And I've got to write messages, and it just... It just wasn't going well, and in that in that point, I, I was like, "Man, I, I need to kind of reach out for a bit of help." So I kind of reach out to a group of people who I'm like, "Hey, I'm having this issue," and and it just didn't go well. Like the response was met with nothing, and so then I walked out of that room that day, and I was like, "Steve, you're on your own. You got to figure this out." And by that stage I'm like this is so far beyond me. I just don't even I'm so I feel so broken and so out of control. It's like cr- climbing a greasy pole. That's what it feels like. I'm like the more I grip, I'm just slipping and and I can feel myself slipping further and further and further. Meanwhile, I'm a pastor and a Christian and I'm going, God, where are you? Like, God, you call me to this, and you've had my back in this, and, like, I'm just, I'm just following you, and this is where I'm at, and so I'm going, God, where are you in this moment? And I'm praying for healing, and I'm texting every, like, top-tier Christian I know. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, the regular Christian friends, and then there's like the, 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 there's, like, the pastors, and then there's, like, the traveling evangelists. I'm going after those guys, man. I'm like bro, can you pray for me? I need breakthrough. I need healing. I need healing. I need healing. And healing's not coming. And I'm praying. I'm asking everybody, pray for me. Heal. I need healing. I need breakthrough. So I'm going through. And, and it's, like, it's like trying to chop, chop a tree with a blunt ax. God help. God help. God help. And I feel like heaven is dead. I feel like God is like completely off the radar. And then that's when depression starts to kick in. So eight months of showing up here every Sunday, having anxiety attacks. Then in the week, I'm not sleeping from Wednesday night. I sleep Monday, Tuesday, from Wednesday, Sunday's close now. So Sunday's close, so now I can't sleep. Now I'm taking sleeping pills, like candy, and then they stop working. There was one night I took four sleeping pills in one night and I was awake all night didn't do a thing, because my body was in such a high stress response. The minute my body, would, I would start to fall asleep, it was like a jolt of lightning went through my body. Boom, I'd just wake up. And then I just would shift. I couldn't, I'd, I'd walk around the house wringing my hands out and just rubbing my, because I just, there's just nervous energy just, and I think I'm going, I think I'm going crazy. And no one knows. I'm going crazy, I think, like I'm losing my mind. This is, this is what I'm like, this is what it feels like to go insane. This is what it feels like when you're not sleeping. And, and uh, so I begin to lose joy and lose hope because I'm like, I can only hold on a little bit longer before something's not going to go well. And so I'm at the doctor. I ended up on, medi- I ended up on medication, antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds. Um, I'm having these regular daily anxiety attacks. I barely. There's days when I can barely get out of bed. I'm like... I remember one Sunday I was preaching and um, I preached. I was in a bad place and I, and I preached the first service. And I remember I, um, before the service, I'd slept maybe three hours that night. I, I'd been, I think I'd had three sleeping pills. I slept three hours. So that's a bad combo. And then throw a couple of coffees in the mix just to get me up or maybe a monster energy or something. And I remember being out the back and I, was, and I was shaking my hands. And I said, God, you have to show up today. God, please show up today. And I, and I walked... Um, I walked on stage <clears throat> sorry I knew it was going to happen I, I, I preached the first, ser- the first service there was three in the morning at that point I preached the first service had a major panic attack on stage um, and I would just play it off like oh I'm just feeling really dizzy today church because I kind of let everyone know that I was having balance issues and Bex came up on stage, and she stood with me for about five minutes because I was like, I don't know if I can keep going. I met, I managed to keep going. I finished that service. I was so exhausted. I, I I have to go home. So I left, and Bex took over, and she was amazing. She she preached the next two services, took my notes, preached the message. I went home. I got in my car. I cried from here to Flatbush. Let's go, bro. And, and the dominant thought in my head was, what a failure. Like, what a loser. Like, you can't even do that. Like, what's wrong with you? And now I know I'm real broken. Like, I know I'm re- it's, this is bad. And then I sleep all day. I sleep all day. I sleep the next day. I sleep the next day. And then, oh, man, Sunday's coming again. Um... And then I wake up, I'm like, no, you're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. It's, it's all good. I'm trying to coach myself. And then I, um, I wake up one Thursday morning, and I'm down. Like, I'm depressed. I'm down. Like I've, you know, the, everyone has a day where you're like, I'm just a bit, uh, today. And I've had those days. And normally it's like, Stevie, get up, brush your teeth, get to work, talk to some people, and normally you're fine. Like, it normally clicked through it. But I didn't. And, I, and that whole day, I was just down, like hopeless down. And then I woke up the next day, and I was still down. And then I woke up the next day, and I was still down. And when I say down, I don't mean like I'm just feeling, having a bad day. I mean, I have no hope for tomorrow. I mean, I'm in a pit of darkness. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, and I'm alone. And I, and I have no sense of a good tomorrow. Like utter hopelessness. And I, I wanna, like... It's, when you, when you haven't journeyed depression, it's hard to fathom that. It's hard to fathom that, like with an amazing wife and a beautiful church and two awesome kids, that you can find no joy or hope in anything. And the thought of tomorrow is bad. And... That's when my mind started going to a, bad, a, a really dark place where I began to fantasize of heaven, but in a way that is not good. I began to dream of the end. I began to hope for God to finish this because the light had gone out today and tomorrow. So all I could, hope, all I could do was fantasize about death, and that scared me so bad. So, big breath, Stevie. I, as a person who loves life and people, to, to be in that place was so scary. And to hear, hear stories of like um, of pastors and leaders who um, have wonderful families and then take their own lives. And I remember like years ago thinking, I remember years ago thinking. Thank you, my bro. I appreciate that. Thank you, my guy. You're awesome. Man. Thank you, brother. Thank thank you, my guy. Thank you, bro. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you, bro. You brought me to God. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank, thank, bro. thank, bro. thank, bro. thank you. So I remember, um, I remember being really scared in that moment, really scared because I didn't know what I was capable of anymore, and um, being in that place of hopelessness. And I remember um, one night, I was awake at three in the morning, and I remember crying out to God, and I was like, God, where are you? Where are you? Because I really felt like I was alone in the dark. But this was amazing. This was a moment for me. Um, of, this has kind of jumped ahead a little bit, but this was an amazing moment for me because I, it was a proving moment for my faith. Because I remember lying in bed at three in the morning, not knowing where God was or where I was. or where they, I, I was like, God, I don't even know if you're here anymore, and I don't even know if you're real now. Like, if, if you've ever been in that dark place. But I made this decision. I said, but God, I've trusted you this far. So even though I think you've left me, I'm going to keep trusting you. Yeah, come on. good, So from that fast forward from that Thursday, I woke up down Friday, Saturday. That Saturday, it broke it broke, I could not shake it, I could not get well, I could not break out of this feeling, and I knew that Sunday was coming tomorrow, and the idea of going to church on that Sunday was like asking me to climb Mount Everest in bare feet. That's how big it felt. I was like, I can't go, I can't, it's, I just cannot be there. And I ended up literally a crying mess on our bedroom floor the day before our 15th wedding anniversary, crying for three hours like I've never cried before like i've lost everything because now i'm like i'm so broken i've lost everything because i'd spent eight months trying to figure out how i was going to tell everybody here and everyone who from the leadership and the church and the eldership like you made a mistake and i'm not the guy and i have to go um and so i don't think i've lost everything so I'm a crying, crumpled heap on, the, on our bedroom floor, crying like the most guttural, gut-wrenching tears I've ever cried in my life, because I feel like I've lost my life. And um, Bex, praise, thank God for her. She's like, in the midst of it, she's just like an absolute saint. And um, she called Mike Griffiths, Pastor Mike Griffiths from our city campus, who is also a trained counselor. And she said, Mike, can you come? He came straight away. He picked me up off my bedroom floor. And um, that point was the beginning point of recovery of the journey for me. But that was day one of the hardest three months of my life. Because from that point going forward, Mike became a handrail to lead me out of the pit. And I was on the phone to him every single day, multiple times a day. And I had to make a decision to fight every second of every day for my life, where everything was trying to keep me in that pit, and every step I thought I took, I felt like I took three backwards, but I had to fight every single day to get out of that place, and um, it was by far, in a way, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, I remember the day after that moment was a Sunday. Bex came. She preached three services that Sunday. I had a, she called a friend of mine. He came and sat in my house with me, essentially making sure I was okay, and um, watched me for eight hours or whatever through the day and, and kind of looked after me. The hardest thing I've ever done in my life was get out of bed that day. Hardest. I've done a lot of hard things. I've done a lot of difficult things. But getting out of bed that day was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I had to force every fiber of my being to, to move and to live and to want to live. And so this journey of recovery kind of kicked off we have i finally got diagnosed with the balance disorder vestibular neuronitis which is essentially a permanent damage to the nerve center of my ear which is a time thing it'll slowly get better it's why we're a hat in church it helps to minimize light stimulation which helps me um, just process visually and balance all that kind of stuff um i understood why i was getting dizzy in these situations because overstimulation with light and different things um, triggers um, the balance center to kind of give up what it's doing Um, so there's a whole lot of understanding for it but by that point it didn't matter how much i understood it my my internally i was wrecked so i began a journey of getting diagnosed what was what was happening what was wrong got diagnosed with post-traumatic stress had a traumatic event triggered a stress response a reoccurring stress uh, reoccurring trauma whenever i got up to preach i just feel dizzy whenever i went into the room i feel dizzy um, so there was there was a traumatic stress response, and then there was um, a thing called complicated grief, where I become to began to grieve what I perceived I was going to lose. So I was already grieving losing you guys. I was already grieving losing the call of God. I was already grieving all that stuff, and then depression, and so then which is just essentially hopelessness, getting to that place of just utter despair and hopelessness. But it was a three month journey out of that place, and every day we walked that journey. And I remember um, the first part was just. Like stabilizing myself like safety and stabilization was just calm the alarm Steve calm the alarm the alarm It's like it's like the alarm the stress response in my life was like a house alarm that goes off every time the wind blows Like house alarms good, but not when the wind blows It's just like like everything would set me off and so I had to learn to calm that down And then I had to reinterpret my whole story the last 12 months of my life was so bad in my mind I had to rewrite the story in a really positive light and go on that journey. And then the last stage was reintegration. So essentially, uh, it was getting me back into dangerous, scary, the, the places that I, that I felt were dangerous and scary, my body represented that. And, and going back into those places and, and relearning that they're okay. Yeah, right. So like step one, I remember one Sunday, I, had to, I was supposed to come to church and I got in the car and I sat in the car for 30 minutes and then I couldn't, I couldn't leave the house, I had to come back in. And I had to, there was about three months I didn't preach. I, didn't, I barely came to church. Then the next week I had to try again. And so the, that step was get in the car, drive to church, drive into the car park, do a loop, and then go home. And then go watch a movie or do something fun to reward myself. That was step one. Step two, the next day, you know what I had to do? I had to drive in, park the car, walk into the main foyer, turn around and go home. Stage two. Stage three was like, like a few days later I had to come in, I had to talk to someone. And then I had to leave. And then the next step was coming. I literally walked a loop of the office. I took my keys. I went in my office, unlocked my door, walked in my door, turned around, locked the door, went back in my car and drove home. I was like, we won today. That was awesome. was all I could do. That's all I could do. Good, and then it was slow, slow, slow. After three months, I was back preaching multiple services. And, but that's, that three months was to reintegrate. But the last two years has been the journey of still processing all that stuff. Am I on the other side of it? Uh, yeah, I totally am. Do I still struggle? Yes. Here's what I've realized um, about myself, but also about all of us, is that often the, the line, the, the, the distance between me being really good and not good is really narrow. Right. But in the same vein, the distance between me being not good and really good is also really narrow. It's not a long distance. It's quite a short distance. Yeah if you told me that on the day my worst my worst day that three months later i would be preaching multiple services and leading the church again i would have never ever believed you because in my mind i couldn't do anything i was gone but praise god in the midst of it all like god, the grace of god and the hand of god in the midst of it has just been absolutely phenomenal and to the point now where you know i'm back to full capacity and back to doing what we do and back loving and, love and life and Joy and hope for tomorrow all that stuff is back and it's and it's richer and it's deeper and my walk with God is so much different and better and richer and you, you see the hand of God bringing beauty out of ashes. He's faithful to do what he said he'd do, to bring beauty out of ashes and to take broken things and make them beautiful. And he takes our pain in the valley and he leads us through it and he actually brings us closer to him in the midst of trial and pain. And there's a refining process that happens in the midst of all that stuff too. So you're like, okay, cool. Steve is really gone now. It's all Jesus. Like, all that. like I, I realize how weak I am, how absurdly weak I am, but how awesome that is in God when you realize just how messed up and weak you are and you're like God I need you every day every moment every Sunday it's like it's amazing and the, the work God does in the midst of it but I tell you what it was absolutely gut-wrenchingly hard and there's still I still I, it's still a journey it's still a journey but praise God we're kind of on the other side of where we're at on that
1: yeah can we thank Steve Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, the journey that Steve has been on has obviously been something that many of you probably would never have realised that that was what was happening with him. And and if you've been in our church for a while, for a number of years, you probably are looking back now on Sundays and going, "Oh, I had no idea." And so I guess if we kind of use Steve as a bit of a case study for the conversation we're about to have, like for you guys, you're working in this field, how common is this? in especially like today, is this rare or is this like what's happening out there? What are you
2: seeing? Shall I start? Thank you. Uh, Firstly, just want to say thanks so much, Steve, for your courage in speaking out. It's It's um it's not easy. It's humbling even to hear, do you know? I'm sure there were some tissues going on in the room. Um but so powerful, so thank you. Yeah. Um it's it's not uncommon, you know, it's not uncommon and um Statistically, I believe one in five people um, are said to experience mental health difficulties at some point in their life. I would say probably it's more, um, particularly over the last couple of years with our lives being turned upside down by um, you know, a very big shared experience which has affected people in, um, in some significant way. So um, it is very common. It's, uh, some people will go and seek help, some people won't. Some people will get through it quickly. some people will take a really long time. and so as the church um, you know there's probably multiple people in here who've who've had that journey or are on that journey or supporting someone on that journey and there's nothing to be ashamed of or afraid of or um, that we need to hide. Um, it's just something we need to deal with, you know, find a wise and effective and um god-aligned way to deal with
1: Mm, yeah great
3: um and the yeah in the context that i'm with um i i again steve thank you for sharing your story it's i I think um yeah as you said we are all living with brokenness and um up here uh, i just feel like one beggar telling another beggar where to find some food. Um, you know, we're, we might be experts, so but um, you know, we're all on this journey. We all are struggling with things. Um, we haven't arrived, none of us ever will. Um, but I guess in, I, I echo what Seema had to say about the, the statistics, about the one in five, in terms of um, the, the space that I'm working in with, with young people, um, we, we see um, examples of that and in our, in our context, um, it's often a very difficult thing to work with. And as I guess I'm speaking now um, to those of you who are parents of young people, who sense there's something not quite right with your young person, um, the, the first port of call I would be saying to you is to, to go to your GP and take your young person with them, you and, and talk with your GP about what's going on. Um, I regularly say to young people that you, know, you are on a journey and you're going to be forming all kinds of connections with people in your life to help do life well. You know you're, you're dying to get your learners and have a car. You know you're going to have to have that car regularly checked and serviced. You know um, you're going to need to look after your your teeth. Um, you need you know get to the dentist once a year. Get to the doctor regularly. Build a relationship with um, your your family doctor. And your family doctor is a GP, a general practitioner, and quite possibly can't deal, may not be able to deal with the things that your young person is experiencing, but that's okay because then they can refer your young person on to someone who can. Mm. So um, yeah, I guess in coming back down to the young person themselves, um, I keep telling them it's okay to struggle, but it's not okay to struggle alone. And I right. think that's, um, great. you know, when Steve, I, I, my, my heart sank when you told us the piece about how you walked away from that space that you were hoping to find a foothold and nothing came. That was heartbreaking. It really uh,
0: And I think the lesson I, I learned on that, and I think the lesson I want all of us to learn is if, if, if one avenue for help didn't work then you fight for another one just just like keep on going like Look, because it, 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 it takes a lot of courage and because there is still a stigma around it, right? There is still this kind of like, oh, man, I've got to tell somebody I'm, like, I'm struggling with my mental health. Like even talking to my GP about that, I was like, bro, I'm struggling and anxiety. And mm. what, like it, I felt so ashamed of it. Like I felt really, it was like really daunting. And then, I remember the first time I had to like do an ins- a life insurance thing update. And they're like, do you, have you ever struggled with, you know, depression? I had to take yes. I was like, oh, then they had to get, like, then there's all, see, there's this big kind of, like, thing around it. But if I'd known what I know now, I would have knocked on another door. Mm-hmm. And if that door didn't open, I would have knocked on another door, another door and another door and another door until I found something or someone that could have helped me along the way. And I think for all of us here, that you have to have a persistence to go, there's going to be help, you just got to keep going after it. And, and, and we have to be advocates for one another to go, bro, I'll walk it with you and we'll find, we'll f- like, I don't have the answer, but I can help you find it whatever that looks like.
1: And I think that one of the things that we often say and is out there in like, it's one of the slogans, that slogan, it's okay not to be okay, you know that one? That one's very common, but what we found in our experience was it's okay not to be okay, but our question was always, but is it okay to tell somebody? because often we can feel and admit to ourselves, I don't feel okay, but then ha- yeah,
0: but who that do little, I? Um...
1: No one knows how to react and respond when you say it. So we've kind of, even just with our team, we've kind of said to them, it's okay not to be okay, but can you please tell us if you're not okay? Like it's okay to tell somebody that you're not okay. And I think one of the things that, one of the reasons why that becomes hard is because of this conversation around when we are Christians and we are Christians and people who are supposed to be a people of faith, Right. And one of the things that you talk about, Steve, often when you talk about this with people, is that the more you prayed, the worse it seemed to get. Yeah. And that's a really hard place to be as a Christian. And so I guess my question is, you know, as Christians we're encouraged to pray when we are worried or anxious, it's biblical, it's in the Bible, it says, don't worry, pray. But where do prayer and professional help collide? In that, on our journey, people it, 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 there's the very much a spiritual aspect of it all but then there is a physical aspect totally. that y- we need professional help with and and how do I navigate faith and prayer and medical professionals and do you know all of that whole piece Great. because often we can't just we can pray it away
0: oh, no I probably I'll set that up and I think maybe Rach you can jump in so, so was, was what happened to me spiritual? Well, possibly on one level, yes. Like, did the devil want to take me out as I step into a new role as senior pastor of a church that we want to take into the future and destroy my calling and the thing that he's called me to do? Let's read into it and go, yeah, the devil doesn't want me doing that. But then I had a physiological issue that had a physiological response. That's not necessarily spiritual. So we've got to address, address that. And, and, and in relation to the prayer thing, like for me, the prayer I was praying was making me worse. Prayer wasn't making me worse. The prayer I was praying was making me worse. Because for months, my prayer was, God, heal me. God, fix me. God, what's wrong? God, like, deal with this. God, bring breakthrough, bring breakthrough, bring breakthrough. I was praying, everyone, everyone, bro, pray for breakthrough, pray for, pray for healing, pray for healing. My prayer had to tra- change from God heal me to God I trust you. Yeah. Yeah. That was the change. Because I, I had to stop fighting for what I wanted and what I needed God to do. And I had to trust the sovereignty of God in the midst of the darkness. That was my breakthrough moment in the, in the midst of it all.
4: Um, Yeah, I'm going to just briefly give some background. So I also have had my own struggles with mental health. It's the reason that I've gone into a profession of helping people. Um, And I have journeyed my own journey at different points in my life, probably starting from when I was young. There was always some underlying mental health issues, whether I was aware what they were or not, Um, never diagnosed, but probably self-diagnosed by myself looking back now. um, I can see that there was anxiety and depression, a lot of suicidal thoughts, self-harming tendencies. Um, But about, oh, it would have been 2014, um, we had a family tragedy that happened and it just completely shook my whole world and all of the mental health issues that I had struggled with throughout my younger years rose to the surface, and there they were, um, out for the world to see, which was really scary for me. Um, And I remember being in a a different church environment and really, really struggling with my mental health and also similar to you, having a really hard time in terms of responses around it. Um, A lot of, you need prayer, a lot of like almost punishment for struggling. There was a lot of that kind of attitude, but I think back then mental health also wasn't as big as what it is now, it wasn't as spoken about as widely, and I think the main problem was that people just weren't equipped to deal with it, and so they they dealt with it really poorly, and so, from a from a professional perspective, now I can see that they were just unsure what to do um, with me, which was totally fine. Looking back now, um, but I think from my own experience as well, I spent so much time praying and seeking God and being like, I'm in church, actively serving every week. I am like on my knees at the altar. I'm going up for every altar call for prayer. Same thing, asking everyone to pray for me, and like nothing would change. And that feeling of failure or like God, where are you in this? Like why aren't you meeting me here? And um, I just remember one day just um, praying and praying for help and just hearing the voice going like, but why aren't you taking the help that I'm kind of trying to bring at you, which was professional help. And it felt like that for me was almost like God's avenue of answering a prayer, not in the way that I wanted him to because I wanted him to fix me, but it was um, having that kind of come alongside me. And it was one avenue that, Um, I needed to go down, really letting him in and being able to like um, work within me through getting professional help.
2: Mm. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, just really um, echo, and thank you for sharing that, Rach. Just really wanna echo what we pray for. So um, like you mentioned, um, Steve, you know, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know you are with me and your shepherd's rod and staff protect me and that's just a verse that i go back to over and over because the verse does not say if i go through the valley of death yeah. or just in case i drop into the valley of the shadow of death we all go through it yeah. right at some point and if you're a younger person here and you haven't had that experience in your life i'm really sorry to say it's probably going to be around the corner at some point do you know um if you live long enough on this planet you're gonna go through a valley <laughs> that feels like the shadow of death. And it doesn't make you a bad Christian, it doesn't make you a failure, it doesn't make you inadequate or unworthy of God's love. Um, So what we pray, um, very good um, reminder there, Stephen, I think this is something that I've actually encountered with a lot of Christian people that I've worked with is our instinct is to pray away our pain, Mm. right? As humans, that's a very understandable thing that we wanna do. We wanna pray our bodies into wholeness. We wanna pray our emotions into wholeness. We wanna pray our pain away. We just wanna be okay. We don't wanna be in the valley. However, we get through the valley by starting at the beginning and finishing at the end and then we see mm-hmm. the sun again. Great. So the key is really who's with us in the valley. Yeah, Do you know great. what are our strategies in the valley, what helps us in the valley, um, who's with us, mm. who are we turning to, who are we leaning on, who's great. carrying us when we need to be carried, great. Um, whose voices are we listening to. Mm. What? What are we trying differently? Do you know if we're trying to sprint through the valley, maybe our strategy is to slow down and put one foot in front of the other, do you know? We learn things in the valley that we have to seek other people for. Sometimes they'll be pastors, sometimes they'll be professional mental health workers, sometimes they'll be doctors, sometimes they'll be a friend. Sometimes it'll be a YouTube video, although you have gotta be careful of those some not so good ones out there too um so that you know um what we pray is so important i had a colleague a couple of years ago who um came to me one day uh, he was a christian and he said oh can i talk to you about something i think my 10 year old son has schizophrenia i thought mm, that's kind of odd that's not not usually what happens at that age but then he told me his son was um experiencing really, really bad nightmares. And even during the day, he had these incredible fears where he just had these visions of his parents dying. And he was completely freaking out and, and just just overwhelmed by this, this horrible kind of experience. And it was just happening out of the blue. It was getting worse. And he said, I'm praying with him, and we're praying, God, just take it away, take it away, take it away, and it's not, nothing seems to be helping. I think maybe he needs to go see a psychiatrist. What do you think? So I said to him, um, "Let's talk about what you're praying, um, because actually, if he's having thoughts and dreams of, you know, his mum and dad dying, they're just thoughts and dreams. They're not, you know, what's actually real in your life." And so we revisited what was real in their life, which was he was safe. He had a mum and dad who cared about him deeply. Um, they had a beautiful, lovely family. Um, And so they started praying differently um, after we talked. Mm. Instead of praying, God, take this away, um, make it go away, he started praying, God, help me to remember that it's just a dream. It's just a thought. It's gonna gonna pass, and I'm okay, and my mum and dad are okay, and we're good, because you're with us. Mm. So that was the prayer. Mm -hmm. And so over time, the problems resolved. And, um, you know, I'm not saying everything is that simple, but the principle is very important, what we pray for.
0: I think it's important, like, as Christians, and as people of faith, um, that when we find ourselves broken, and we ask God to fix us, and he doesn't, in that instant, we believe in like the miraculous, by the way, just so you know. We're gonna, like, always believe and always pray that God would miraculously show up. But when you're broken and God doesn't do that, the challenge is we have to now find God in the midst of that
4: because
0: mm. He's still present yeah. and He's still good yeah. and He's still the shepherd and the physician and the one who leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. It's through it, not in it. We don't stay there, we go through it. And, but that's the, if you, it, it, suffering is a part of the Christian journey. So I hate to burst the bubble. If you came to Jesus so that He would make your life all happy and unicorns. It's probably not going to happen. But you find the beauty of God sometimes in the midst of pain and suffering. Mm. And when you're broken and God doesn't instantly fix you, then there's there's still a beauty to find in the midst of that. And that's where you draw near to God in a way you've never drawn near before. And that's where God is no longer just your fixer. He's your Lord, the sovereign over every area of your life. And you say, like, like Paul said, though he slay me, yet I praise him.
1: Yeah, great. Um, Seema, you mentioned a strategy that you used with that um, young person who was having nightmares. Um, Could you guys just take very, very quickly, for the sake of time, could you share perhaps a strategy that you often use with your clients um, that might help someone, like just a simple, something that you would tell someone, put this in your toolbox, pop it in your back pocket, um, for like a, something practical maybe that you could share um, with somebody?
3: Um, you yeah. on. Uh, I'm kind of fascinated with, with the brain and how the brain works and for up until recently, I, my understanding was that, it's, that every day you and I have, um, would anyone care to guess how many thoughts we have a day? Just quickly. Huh? Three hundred thousand a minute. Oh. Now do the math. Well, it's around sixty thousand a day. It could be up to about eighty now for the average person. Eighty thousand thoughts a day. And one thing I'm I'm a huge fan of is is that, um, particularly with young people, they tend to catastrophize. They tend to. Be fixated on one thought, you know, when you're driving with your young people, you talk about if you're driving past the ocean, what is the sea? And I will say, oh, it's blue. Well, no, it's not actually. If you look over there, it's a bit turquoisey. Or over here, it's actually, it's a bit, little bit gray. Or over here, it's really deep and dark. So I think uh, for our young people, um, they need to learn to dance in the gray. They need to realize that there are other ways of seeing a situation. Mm. There are other ways of thinking about um, certain circumstances in their lives. Um, A guy called David Riddell calls, you know, unhelpful thoughts uh, stink thinking. Um, The game Snakes and Ladders is a fun game with younger kids because we can have snake thoughts which are unhelpful, ladder thoughts that are helpful. So with our young people, um, you know, if they pop something out after school one day that, that, um, that doesn't sound particularly um, helpful or unhelpful, I, I don't tend to say thoughts are bad or good. They just are, as uh, Seymour was suggesting. But, you know, challenge your kids. Get them to catch their thoughts and say, well, is that a, is that a helpful or, or a, a, um, a ladder thought, or is that kind of an unhelpful or, or snake thought? So I, th- I think getting kids to think about their thinking is mm. really, really important. So that would be my tip. Great.
4: Great. Um, One of mine is to try and look at their holistic well-being, not just the one thing that's going on right now that is really big for them. So if they are feeling depressed, I like to not just look at their mental health, but I like to look at what's going on in their physical health, emotional health, spiritual health, who their support people are, their family, their context, and just try and give them an overview of everything else in their life because I think sometimes um, it can be really easy to ruminate over one Situation or what you're going through it can feel really big and when you begin to look at every other area You can see that maybe you're not so like not feeling so great in your mental health right now But how can we like amp up the other areas of your health right. so that they can carry you and pull you back up when your mental health is down? Yeah,
2: that's my that's my tip
1: Great, great.
2: Well this the issue I see the most of in my job is anxiety um, unsurprisingly uh, And the most common strategy I teach people is diaphragmatic breathing. Look it up on YouTube. (laughs) 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 Breathing. Breathing from your diaphragm.
0: Just out of my own um, experience, a couple things that are really helpful. The whole journey of healing from mental health is one of um, mind transformation, mind renewal. So you're transformed, the Bible says, Romans, you are transformed into a new person by changing the way you think. It's a mind renewal. So the whole journey for me over the last two years has been fixing this, the way I think. The way I think about you, the way I think about me, the way I think about God, the way I think about church, the way I think about what I have to do today, the way you think about everything determines everything. And so you'll see, the, the journey is to ask the question, why do I think that way? And is that the right way to think? And is there a better way? Is there a different way? What can I replace that with? And so that's the journey of of the Christian life is being transformed into a new creation by changing the way you think, by a renewal of your mind. And so we have to be willing to go into battle for this, for the mind. You've got to really think, why am I thinking that way? Why is Steve, why do I get, why am I getting upset? Why am I getting anxious about church today? Well that's just something I'm doing that's not that's not my natural state so I need to fix that I need to dive into that and and get to the bottom of it but but another great strategy especially for around depression and anxiety is change your state so like if you are feeling really depressed or really anxious the best thing you can do is get up and move move like one of the things that Griffey taught me he was like dude you got a rugby ball I'm like yeah he said get a rugby ball throw it against the wall just, just that motion of just throwing a rugby ball go, or go for a walk. And there were times in recovery, I was like, "We need to go for a walk now." Like it was like as a family. Bex was like, "Okay, okay, now, now, now." Because I'm like, I'm, I'm sliding. I can feel myself going down. I'm like I'm going down. And Griffy said, "You're gonna change your state." So I'm changing Like we're gonna walk now. And we were like, just go walk, or we'd do we'd go for a run, or I'd go to the gym, or do something. Because it was just, I've got to get out. I've got to shift my physical state to get me out of this moment I'm feeling right now, or this mood that i'm in and sometimes you got to do that every minute of every day but it's it's so powerful
4: can i quickly just add something to that as you were talking i was just thinking about as well of changing our language and i think something that i've learned on my mental health journey um, is that a lot of the time when i used to talk about my mental health i used to say i am depressed i am this i am this and really label myself and i think Labeling is a really big thing <laughs> in our world at the moment, and I think I really had to change my language. And something that I found helpful when I have been feeling a little bit low or anxious is like, "I am doing this. I am doing this. I am doing anxiety. I am doing
0: I don't depression. Know, yeah, depression
4: yeah. instead of owning, like feeling like it owns me. Yeah. Like I am owning it. So I am feeling this way, but this is not who I am, and so I'm not going to speak that over my life and create that holder. Dig deeper.
0: It's one strategy that I employ all the time. It's, we call it dude speak. I'm doing. Yeah. yeah, so I don't have anxiety. I don't have depression. Yeah. I'm not depressed because my natural state and your natural state in God's creation is not depressed. Yeah. Right. God didn't ordain you to be depressed. Yeah. God ordained you to have joy. So your natural state is not that place. Mm-hmm. So oh, I'm doing it right yeah. now. I'm doing it, so why am I doing it? Yeah. Okay, now let's dig in mind transformation. I've got to get into that and figure out what's going on here. And that's with help, with help along the way. But dude speak is really powerful.
1: Great. Um, we've gone way over time, but I feel like it's okay yeah. right now. Yeah. You guys are all good, eh?
0: It's school holidays tomorrow. Yeah. You're all good.
1: <laughs> um, can, can we just spend a couple of moments just before we wrap up talking, to, talking about how we can help others who are going through it? Because we're in church right now. And there are going to be people. They're probably sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, and they've, you know, they're walking the journey. And you guys, you, um, both you, Rachel and Steve, have talked about how people didn't. That you tried to reach out, and the response that you got um, made you feel like that wasn't help. You know, that didn't help, um, and it wasn't quite the response that was needed in that moment. Is there something that we can know as people who are gonna do the journey with each other, this is what we're called to, we're called to journey together. Is there something that we should know? Is there something that's not helpful to say? Is there something that's helpful to say?
4: Like help us here.
0: (laughs) Rach, you wanna go? Oh
4: sure, I can go. I've got my list of notes here, guys. (laughs) Um, So one thing, I've actually got two really great examples of like friends that were amazing to me during my seasons of Um, depression. My first one in 2014, I had a best friend who's still one of my best friends who used to just come over and sit with me. She would not say anything. She would not ask me questions about how I was feeling. I remember there were nights where I did not sleep. Like, I could only sleep for like a good six months if I slept on my parents' bedroom floor. I was that low and I was like 21 years old. Super embarrassing, but that's what I had to do to be able to sleep, but she used to come and sit with me, not ask me anything, she used to sing and she used to like watch movies with me and it was actually just being present with me in that moment because I knew that she couldn't fix the situation as she knew she definitely couldn't fix the situation, so just being present. Um, Something that I found really helpful as well was like love in action. And so it wasn't necessarily words, but it was like just being like, hey, I'm gonna go for a walk. Why don't I pick you up and we go together to get me out of the house or to do things? That was something that was really practical for me. Actually last year, after having my son, I found myself in a place where I had another experience of depression and anxiety, and I developed postnatal depression and anxiety. And my best friend was amazing. And she used to just, text me and ask me, what is it that I can do for you? Um, And so she would come over and do night feeds and help me and just sit with me in the depths of like me feeling that as well. Um, So I think action is really important. Some people can't voice what they they need. And so it's just doing practical things. Can you do meals? Can you do, I don't know, can you pick up the kids? Can you do something? I don't know what was helpful for you, Steve.
0: Yeah, I I think it's really good. The, um, don't try and fix them. Don't give them all the solutions. All right? That's not what they need. You know what they need? They need you to say, that sounds really hard. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time someone said that to me, I bawled my eyes out. Because for, for eight months, everyone was trying to give me solutions. Yeah. Mm. And trust me, I've Googled all the solutions. <laughs> and none of them worked. And for the first time, someone just empathized and says, Steve, that sounds really hard. And I'm like, I was like, it is really hard. Finally, someone's listening to me. Mm. Finally, someone understands a little bit. Um, and, and so that was just having that empathy to go, You're not, you don't have to fix people, just be there with them. Yeah. Just like, I'm so thankful for the friends. Some of them are here today who sat with me and just came over and yeah. texted me and just said, bro, I'm with you, I'm praying for you. Nothing like, not like and, and again, this is something like we, we recently Actually, recently, like a month ago, I was just in a ba- I was back in a bit of a bad place. i was like, "Flip a why am I back here again?" And and um and Bex knew, and so she was. She said to me, "Um, how how are you? You okay?" I'm like, "Don't ask me if I'm okay, because then I'll analyze how okay I am, and it's probably not okay." You know what I mean? Like, so I said, rather than that, just tell me you're here for me today. Hey, like I'm. I've got your back today. I'm with you today. I'm here for you today. That's what I need. Because we'll, we'll figure this out. We'll journey it through, and that's okay. Like, but, but, but asking that question, uh, hey, are you okay today? Or, or hey, you're looking, you're, you're looking good. You, are you better? Don't ask me that. Because I can look. If you saw the photos I put up on my Facebook and my Instagram of the point when I was at my worst, it's a smiling Steve the outsiders not give you the full picture but to but to just let me know you've got my back and you're here for me and that you will fight with me for this and pray for me when I can't pray that's what I need
2: um, I think at the church in the church we just need to get better at sitting with things that don't feel good um, I think that sometimes we're mistaken that because we believe in God and you know God has the victory that we have to Behave happy all the time and um, make sure everyone else, else is too. And I think um, that if you've been on the receiving end of that, that it, it really doesn't feel authentic sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. And the, you know, I'm not saying this as a judgment. I'm I'm saying this as an observation about something we probably all all need to get better at. And often we find it hard to empathize with somebody else. Um, because we don't want to feel that discomfort or yuck or sadness because sometimes identifying with someone else's not okayness reminds us of our own, right? Mm. So we just need to get good and okay at you know, just sitting with it. Mm. We don't have to fix it, we don't have to solve it. We don't have to find the perfect verse that covers it and mm. makes it go away in the moment. Okay, I okay. mean it has its place. Yeah.
0: It's, it's like, hey, I'm not okay. Well God causes all things to death good. I right. like I know that. It's <laughs> not helping.
2: Not helping right now, eh?
0: There's that beautiful scripture, mourn with those who mourn, right? Mm. Rejoice with those who rejoice.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So we just need to get better at um, you know, going back to the valley and the shadow of death. We don't want to be the guy at the top of the hill calling down into the valley and going, hey, you just need to do this and you'll be okay. We want to be the one that actually gets down there
0: yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. and, and just, just walks with them through the mud, yeah. Mm. really.
1: Yeah. Um, and this is possibly a question I might answer myself as well, to be honest, because um, I just want to take a moment to talk to the people who are closely supporting someone on the mental health journey, because as much as there's probably half the people in the room who've been on a mental health journey, everyone's got someone living with them who's also, who is walking the journey, but from the other shoe. (laughs) And um, I think what's really important is actually helping other people to know how to care for themselves when they're caring for somebody else, um, when they're on the journey, and so... um, I have got some helpful advice, but if there's any other helpful <laughs> advice on this side. Richard, do you want to start and I'll finish?
3: Yeah. Um, there's in that, in that respect, the New Zealand Mental Health Foundation have a, uh, if you just jump on their website, if you look up uh, five ways to well wellbeing, um, I can only remember four at the moment, so Timmy you can help me out. <laughs> but these are, these are great things that we can just remember, and we've been touching on them kind of indirectly and directly tonight. So one is connect. You know, stay in touch with other people. Um, You know, we're hardwired for connection. So, you know, connect with others. uh, And we can do that in all kinds of amazing ways. Um, Move, Steve (laughs) talked about that. You know, we we need to be physically active. Uh, You've all all probably heard about endorphins, you know, the happy chemicals in our body, whether it's walking the dog or getting on the spin bike or whatever floats your walker, you know, move. Get out there and move your body Um, so connect move take notice Um, you know so often we're thinking about what happened yesterday or what happened earlier this morning or we're thinking about what's going on in the future but what's happening right now Mm. what is it like to feel the you know the sudsy water in your hands when you're washing the dishes or what is it like to look out of the window and see that bird in the tree Um, what's it like to be feeling a little bit sad right now Um, You know Seymour was talking about that we don't don't fight those things, but just take notice of them pay attention Um, I'll never forget I was talking with a guy at school who said he he got to school He remembers getting into the shower, but then he remembers arriving at school He couldn't recall anything that happened between getting out of the shower and then arriving at school He didn't notice anything when he was driving to school. He didn't notice um, You know anything of any significance he was just In another place so be be in that present moment so connect move take notice give
0: Mm.
3: yeah Um, you know if you if we're not feeling okay giving is is a great thing to do it lifts us doesn't it we all know that experience whether it's just you know giving someone a quick text or a call or making them something in the kitchen to take and and dumping it in their kitchen nicely Um, and So giving to people, and the fifth one, what's the fifth one? Keep learning. Keep learning, yeah, that's right. Um, Realise that you know we're hardwired keep to off. have a curiosity and a love of learning. Keep learning how to get better on the guitar, keep learning about um, something you're fascinated in, you know, um, make it your goal to read all of C.S. Lewis's books this year or whatever. Um, so those five things I think are, are terrific kind of benchmarks for our own well-being when it right. comes to being in a good space so we can support others. Yeah. And that okay. is such an important thing. I think we've all been on a plane and we've heard the message that when the if should the masks come down and you've got a little one next to you, put yours on first. You've you've got to be in a reasonably good space mm. to to support others. So look after yourself. Your self-care is really important. Mm.
1: Great. Um I I wrote down a few things. Actually I wrote it down a little while ago because I just knew this was sort of coming and had a couple of thoughts that I wrote down and one of the things I think it's really important for someone to understand, especially if you're living with somebody who's got mental health, so if it's a spouse or a sibling or um, your child, is to, to remember that it's not your fault. So, oh, this is where I'm gonna cry. So the journey that they're on and what's going on in their mental state is not because of something that you have done, it's not your fault. It's not because you've done something that, ma- that has made them like that. Um, and so because it's not your fault, it's therefore not your responsibility to fix. And so one of the things that I had was so worried about with Steve was because he got to that really bad place and I called Mike Griffiths and I said, help, you need to come over now. And then over the course of the week as mike came every day to talk to us he said to me bex what's going on with you and i said to him i'm worried that if he has another moment like that that i don't know what to do and he said you don't need to know what to do he does he knows now i've told him what to do it's not your job to make him do what he needs to do it's his job to do that so he said you don't need to worry about that so if he goes down another path like that it's actually not your responsibility, it's his. He knows what to do, he's got the tools, all you need to do is remind him that he can do it. And so I think that was a huge like, just weight off my shoulders because for, for those of us who live with someone with like major mental health, you can carry this weight around of what am I gonna walk into when I go home today? And when I open the door, like what's gonna be on the other side of this door and am I gonna be able to help them if they are in a place that scares me and so I think what's really important is to recognize that it's not your fault and it's therefore not your it's not your responsibility to fix it I think that's really really important and the other thing that I think is really important is ask for help don't keep it a secret Mm. so make sure other people in your world know that that is what you as a family are journeying through on that first day the Saturday when I called Mike I then the next day, I had to be here and I I didn't wanna leave him at home by himself so I called one of his best mates and I said, I need you to go and be with him today and, and then I would, you know, there were other friends that I would call and say, can you call him today? Can you text him today? I ne- I can't do this on my own. I actually need all you guys to step up right now because this is not just for me. And even here at church, like there were many times when he couldn't be there. He's the pastor of the church. And I'm like, you can't, I, you can't just leave me hand, holding this thing, man. This is too big for me to hold. And there were times when I'd just have to get up here and do what he was supposed to do. And so I called out, I called Adrian and I called Dean and I called Dan Owen around and I said, guys this is what's happening right now but this church is not just going to fall on my shoulders it's going to fall on our shoulders and so they helped me make decisions and they helped me step in and they helped me do all these things and i think one of the biggest things that i just had to i knew i just had to do that i had just had to reach out and say i can't do this It's on you as much as it's on me. We're gonna all do this together. And I think um, asking for help, as much as they need to learn to ask for help, the support people need to learn to ask for help too. The other thing I did, um, which is another strategy, was on our wall in that season, I had a big roll of brown paper on the wall and it said the good in today. And I just listed them off. And I didn't even make him think of them. I would just list every day, I would just put something that was good in today. And sometimes it was, there were no tears today. Nobody cried today. some of those like just really simple things.
0: Awesome.
1: Do you want to wrap it up?
0: Yeah, um, can we just thank these guys for being part of this with us? Okay, you guys can stay. We, we, have, we, have, gone super, we have gone way longer than, than we anticipated, but I really hope this has been helpful. Like I hope there's some tools, there's like some tools you can get uh, in your hands now that are gonna, that are gonna help you. The, the biggest thing I would say is this, you need each other. We need community. God made us for community. God did not make us to be alone. The, very, one of the, the first thing God declares is not good in all of his creation is the loneliness of man. No. He says it's not good for man to be alone. No. So we're not made for isolation, we're made to be together. And these journeys that we go on, and, and this is just one example of many different things we go on in our lives, um, we are meant to do them together. So I want to encourage you, and I want to, and I want to set it up that it would be a commitment that we make as a church that we have each other's back. That if you're not okay, that you just you can turn to the person next to you in this church and go, "I'm not okay," and that person is is gonna n- not gonna have the answers, but they're gonna help you find the answers. Like I say to people, I say to all our staff, I say, if you're not okay, tell me. If you don't know how to tell, tell me, because I'll fight tooth and nail to get you back to that good place. I don't have the answers, but we can get you help that will get you there. And I think it's so important as a church community that if you're not okay, it's absolutely okay. And that was part of me wanting to share this because I know there's many of you sitting in this room right now who are struggling in this area and you're wondering, is it okay? Is there something wrong with me? I'm supposed to be a Christian. Is, can I tell, tell somebody? That's my hope is that you tell somebody because there is hope even in the darkness and there is light, friends, and God, the grace and the goodness and the sovereignty of God is still real and is still apparent, and you will still find it if you just hold on to that hope. And I'd love to pray for us. Can I pray for us as a, as a church? Come on, let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, we just thank you for this moment, this conversation, and for every single person that is here with us in this, in this moment. And Father, from all that we've shared, I, I pray that we would be stronger. I pray that we would be better. I pray that your grace would just reside in this place that um, as we all journey through all manner of things in our lives, Um, I pray that you would help us to bind together with one another in unity and in love for one another. Lord, not just that we have a duty to one another, but because we genuinely love one another, and we desire the best for one another, and we want for each of us to flourish and find the fullness of faith and community and the fullness of what you have for us in this life. And so, God, I pray, help us if we're struggling to open up. Help us to be honest with you and ourselves and with one another. Help us to journey with one another well. Help us to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. And help us, Lord, to journey with one another when we don't know the way and we feel alone in the dark. I pray help us to hold the hands of one another and say, you don't know the way, but I do. Follow me. Let's go. Father, I pray that, you, that the grace and the love and the sovereignty of God would be apparent in every life that we would know that there is hope and there is life and there is freedom in Jesus. And friends, just as we're in this moment of prayer, I do wanna give an invitation um, to anyone who's here today that if you're here in this room and maybe you don't know God, maybe you don't know Jesus, maybe you're far from Him today, the the truth is, friends, that God loves you so much. And I know we've, we've delved into a story of some pretty difficult area, but the truth of my life is that the God of heaven and earth He made me and loves me and has a wonderful plan for me. And although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for his rod and his staff, they comfort me and they guide me. The the Lord God himself has been present in every step of the way and he's brought me out to a place of uh, unbelievable freedom and grace and life in him. And he's got the same gift for you, the same gift of life for you. If you're here today and you're far from God, You know, we all mess up, we all fall short of God's standard, it's called sin, it separates us from God, but God in his grace sent his son Jesus to a cross, when he died on that cross, he paid the debt of your sin, then he conquered death in the grave and he rose again to new life, and he extends to you today grace, forgiveness for all of your wrong, your guilt, your shame forgiven, he gives you a brand new life, it's called being born again by the spirit of God, make you brand new from the inside out get to walk into the plans that God has for your life. He has a redemptive purpose for your life, friend. And then there's this great promise of eternity in heaven with Him. And if you're here today and you're not right with God, maybe you're far from Him, maybe you've never made this decision, or maybe you've made it before, and you need to come back to God today, I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. I'm going to pray this out loud. You pray it with me in your heart, but when you pray it, I want you to mean it with everything you've got. This is your prayer, not mine. I'm just leading you in it. Are you ready? Just pray this in your heart. Say these words. Say, God, today, I surrender my life to you. I know I've sinned and I've messed up, but I believe, Jesus, you died for me. So right now, I turn from my old way of life, and I turn to you. I receive your gift of grace, and I ask you to forgive me of all my wrongs. I place you as the Lord of my life, and I choose from this day to live for you. In Jesus' name. Just with your eyes still closed and every head bowed, if you prayed that prayer tonight, good for you. Well done. I want to give you an opportunity to let me know that you prayed that prayer. What I'm going to do is, I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, if you pray that prayer, I want you to be nice and brave and put your hand up nice and high. I'm not doing that to stand you up or anything like that. All I'm going to do is see you and acknowledge you. you can put your hand straight back down after that. That what I'm asking you to ta- do is take a little step of faith, add a little bit of action to the decision that you made. Are you ready? On the count of three, if you pray that prayer, you just got right with God tonight. One, two three hands going up nice and high right now saying steve that's me awesome my man god bless you over there god bless you god bless you god bless you god bless you thank you thank you thank you right down the back to my left thank you thank you thank you thank you anyone else saying steve right here my man i got you thank you thank you brother awesome awesome anyone else if i haven't seen you just give me a friendly wave i got you amazing well, Father, we thank you so much for the work you're doing in this place. I thank you for those people who just said yes to you. Lord, that there is new life for them, that their old is gone and their new has come. Lord, that you have got a redemptive future for them. And so, Father, I pray, bless them. I pray that they would know that full, free, and abundant life you have for them. Lord, this would not just be a momentary emotional decision, but this would be a commitment to follow you all the days of their life and know the abundance that you have for them. I pray your blessing on them. We bless them as a church right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, put our hands together for those people. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancentre.org.nz.